right, so welcome to the Nurses in the No Show. I'm your co-host, Kristen, and this is... The other co-host, Hannah. And we would like to welcome you to the... Nurses, Nurses in, in the, the No Show! show. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of Nurses in the Know. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Nurse Tina with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse podcast. Thank you, Tina, for coming on today. And congratulations on your recent uh, passing of your CCRN. Aw, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about getting to be on another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we're super excited to have you. So, Tina... Can you tell us a little bit about your kind of background story, how you became a nurse? Did you always want to be a nurse? Give us yeah, the deets. I did. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I kind of did always want to be a nurse. I, I used to, when I was younger, I would go into hospital and think, well, it, it would be kind of cool to work here, you know. Um, but I I never, I didn't finish college. I, st- I started. Um, and then when I got married, I I just sort of took a, that, that took a, um, a backseat and I raised my children and then as they got older and in school and I had time, I started just taking some classes um, at like the local community college kind of thing. And I thought, you know, nurse, I've, you know, nursing, I've always thought that I, you know, that would be interesting. So I started um, taking prerequisites for nursing and um, I finished those, went to, you know, applied for nursing school. I can remember I was 40 years old when I started nursing school and you girl. Yeah. And I can remember thinking, I remember like standing there, like when I got the letter from LMU saying that I was, um, accepted into the program, when I got the, the letter saying that I was accepted into the nursing program, um, I remember thinking, I, it's so hard for me to imagine actually you know being a nurse it's so weird like I can't even imagine this and then since the reality some every now and then I will look at myself in the mirror and think girl look what you just did look at you you're being a nurse you know (laughs) this is something you couldn't could not have imagined 10 years ago really so I'm happy to be here awesome so you started out of nursing school you started in a PCU yes well go ahead (sighs) Uh, I st- so out of nursing school, and this is a little bit of a, I won't say cautionary tale, but I'll just maybe a little bit of a lesson or something you might be able to learn from this if you're listening uh, and you're you're trying to get a job. So I applied for several jobs, as most people do, you know, getting those last few months of nursing school. And everybody always thinks you're not going to get a job. And so I didn't get called from the job that I wanted. And I got a job from or I got a call from this hospital that was maybe I wasn't as excited about. Uh, so I went on the interview and I, I loved the nurse, the nurse manager. I was like, wow, I like her. So I took that job and then she ended up get taking a job at another hospital. And I, mm-hmm. so then I was there yeah. and uh, it was a rough, it was a rough start. It was a rough start. Yeah. I, I worked there for maybe three months. Um, I, I just didn't have a, a, a good orientation. Um, there was no support there. Mm. It, it was just rough. And I, I just remember thinking I didn't like nursing. I was oh, just, no. regret, I had lots of regrets. Um, and then I, I called her uh, because she was working at the uh, level one trauma center in our area. And I, at the time had an associate's degree and I, I thought they won't, if you look at their 
website, it says they don't hire nurses with associate's degree unless you have two years of experience. And so I just called her and I, I, I was crying. I was absolutely crying. And I was just like, I really wish that I could just come and work there. And she goes, well, why don't you? And I'm like, because I don't, it says on their website that you have to, you know, be in, I, I have my associates. She said, just sign the contract saying you'll get your bachelor's. Come on, you know, where do you want to work? And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And I was like, oh, well, I don't really want to be ICU. I'd like that. That's a, a goal I would like to have, but I kind of like, you know, some, something that kind of right, get your feet wet. For yeah. mm-hmm. And so she said, I have the perfect place for you. And she sent the most amazing letter or email to the nurse manager there. Um, I went and uh, interviewed with HR expecting to go and interview with them and leave. And they said, well, there's a nurse manager that wants to interview you right now. She came and got me. Oh, um, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. Cause I just appreciate her. I appreciate um, my, the other nurse manager. Like the whole thing was just so amazing. Wow. Um, she took me over to the uh, floor and showed me around, sat there and talked to me. And then at the end she said, you know, based on um, the recommendation that I got from the, the nurse manager from your previous job that, you know, that works here, I will hire you on the spot if you want the job. And I said, absolutely. I want the job. Like I couldn't say it fast enough, you know? That's um, amazing. Yeah. I left there and I went out and sat in my car, called my husband and I was just like, I can't believe this. I, I just walked Aww. in here and got this job and I'm so happy. And I, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. It was a rough <laughs> start, but I think that experience those few months of just feeling the lack of support and, mm-hmm what understaffing really feels like um, really helped prepare me uh, and appreciate the job that I had because there's still going to be grumbling that goes along, you know, even if you, oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, you still, yeah. there's always, there's always something to complain about. So I would hear people complain, but I would just feel <laughs> like, did we have anything to complain about really? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you come in with a, a different appreciation, that's for sure. Yeah. But I mean, in your story, like you you went for an interview, you ended up not even knowing, you know, a couple months later how much of an impact that would have on your life and the opportunity that it would present itself with. So sometimes when people get those opportunities to interview, just go interview. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real, for real. Even it's just a good opportunity for experience for yourself. Oh, I always take interviews, even if I have no intention of taking the job. Well, um, mm. okay, I wouldn't say always. I I don't but practice that way. But. A lot of time. <laughs> Anyways, so you, how long were you there? You eventually transitioned to being a team leader there, right? Yes, I was there. Um, so. I was there. I was a team leader for about a year and a half. So I guess that was 2015, the end of 2015 when I started working there. So I was probably there um, like three years, I guess. And then uh, a team leader position opened up on night shift and I didn't really want to go back to nights because I didn't do well on nights. It was really (laughs) difficult for me. And so I was really happy to get to transition to day shift. Um, so I was like, oh, I don't know. And she said, you know, I know it's not the best thing, but it's it's going to be, you know, if, you, if you'll take this position, it's going to set you up to take a day shift team lead position when that um, position open opens up. up. Yeah. So did that end up happening for you? It or? did. It, ha- it happened. Uh, the day shift, there was a day shift team leader who was getting her master's and 
she actually was going to be a nurse manager when she graduated and she ended up, okay. uh, so she ended up moving up and that just kind of opened up that spot. And since I was already a team leader on night shift, it sort of helped that that was just sort of a shoe in, you know, like, okay, you can move yeah. up to days. And so that worked out really nicely. I got a lot of experience, um, just working on that really busy, <laughs> crazy floor, uh, with every kind of patient you could imagine, you know, progressive care is there's a lot of respiratory, but mm-hmm. you know, cause they're trach, uh, vented, they can, we can you know, on that floor take, uh, trachs with vents and so there's okay uh, but then also trauma patients cardiac neuro any any patient at all who just isn't quite um ready to go to a regular floor where the nursing where the the nurse patient ratio is going to be you know five or six to one they need that closer observation so you you have the the potential to have any kind of patient population and you can have all of these types of patients can need to be on vapotherm or BiPAP, you know, continuous BiPAP. So you're just dealing with all kinds of stuff. So I saw over the four and a half years that I worked there, just everything, you know. Yeah, it sounds like it. So how long were you, um, were you working there or in that new position when you transferred over and um, before you ended up in leadership? Um, Before I ended up taking that night shift team leader position? Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um. I think, let's see, 16, I think, I think three years. I think that sounds about right. Awesome. Uh, okay. yeah. And then you were a team lead for like a year and a half. So four and a half years total in PCU. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. I was, I was on PCU for four and a half years. Uh, Before on, you, and then, and you yeah. always kind of had in the back of your mind that you wanted to eventually do ICU. Yes. Yeah. That was the goal to try to get to, you know, go, go to ICU once I felt comfortable. And how did you finally know that you like felt comfortable? I think that I got to the point that going, you know, going to work felt even with the how busy the floor is. Um, once it starts to feel a little bit mundane, you know, once it starts yeah. to feel yeah. like I've seen all this before, I've done all this before, um, I've precepted, I've been a team leader, I've obviously been a staff nurse, I've seen all the patients. It, even though it's busy and crazy um, and anything can happen there you're seeing the same thing over and over again and when when I start to feel like okay I, I need to learn something new I'm ready to learn something new right and challenge um, yourself yeah. yeah right yeah that's when I knew it was time to time to move Awesome. I think that's good advice in general. So, I mean, and in our situations and, you know, the situations that I've been in, um, typically if, if, if the crap is hitting the fan per se, um, on any floor, they always, you know, you always look to the leader or whoever's on the floor for that additional help. So would you say that it was fair that that kind of, um, position that you were in on the PCU floor actually helped with your transition into the ICU? Because a lot of those times, if those patients are getting re-upgraded or upgraded into the ICU, that, that leader is, um, helping the primary nurse. Exactly. That, and we, our, our PCU is, is directly adjacent to the medical critical care. And so anytime we would have a code or a rapid response on our floor, those medical critical care nurses would come over and assist with that. And of course the team leader is involved. Generally the team leader gets involved when the nurse staff nurse goes, comes because 
you know, you've got new grad nurses or nurses, yep. you know, that maybe been a nurse about a year and they start feeling, you know, you start to feel like something, uh, I've had mm-hmm. to go up on this patient's oxygen a couple of times. I'm not feeling good about this. And they come to the team leader for advice first. And right. then you go look at the patient and you're, and you're like, okay, what did they look like at the beginning of the shift? What are this? What's going on? And then you're just like, you know, you help them make the decision of what to do. Like contact the, the provider, let them know what's going on, see what they're saying. And, you know, you just eventually you, you go through enough of those scenarios and yeah, you, you get a lot of experience kind of seeing patients on the brink there and you, and recognizing what happens and how that progresses and try to catch it early. That's the whole point of a rapid response, you know, is yeah, yeah, you're exactly. going to catch it early, you know, yeah. get them into ICU to that higher level of care before, you know, mm-hmm. something bad happens. So did you transition uh, to an ICU position in the same facility that you worked at or so, did you apply elsewhere? No, same, same level same one trauma Yeah. So um, I actually was talking to one of the tr- uh, float nurses that would come to PCU and she would work on, on CVICU sometimes and, and all over the ICUs. And she, I said, which one do you like the best? You know, which, where do you like, which ICU do you kind of like? She said, I love CVICU. I love the patient population. <laughs> she said that, that there you're going to see more patients come in with something going on with them. And then you're going to see them get better You because they do surgical, you know, surgical interventions to help them. And then you know, you see them come in a absolute train wreck <laughs> and then yeah. within a day or two they're you're walking them around the unit and I'm like, Ooh, I kinda like that, you know, I like how that <laughs> sounds. And it's exactly what it is. And so I, I went over and talked to the nurse manager and they let me shadow and um I was like, Wow, I, I think I could see myself here and so I decided to tr- make that transition. I'm really glad I did because I love it. So you went to a CVICU? Yes. Awesome. So that's you a, like, that is awesome, a huge yeah. transition, but congratulations. And that's just awesome. I love hearing that. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's, it was uh, definitely intimidating. Um, it's one thing to kind of think about transitioning to ICU where you're taking more drips and, um, you know, that, that higher level of care, the, the higher acuity patient. It's another thing when you're, you're thinking about a post-surgical unit. So, you know, where you're going to yeah. have all that stuff and the pa- these patients, for um, many of our patients, we are a PACU. They don't go to PACU. They right, here, absolutely. You know, and they, they come yeah. with their IVs, still the large bore IVs, and we have to, tra- you know, they come in on anesthesia pumps and, and we have to transition them over and it's, it's um it's intimidating. I can remember thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Wow, <laughs> this is so intense. <laughs> and it is. Very, you really jumped very in. <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I jumped in, um, and I got a good a good um, orientation. I was there for about four months on orientation. I loved my preceptor. He was amazing. So Aww. I got to see a lot of things. So I I've just I really love it. I've learned a lot. I was scared. I was horrified. I was so. I felt very inadequate a lot and I still do. I still do. Um, I'm always being thrown, <laughs> thrown into situations, uh, which you will be, that's what happens. You know, you, you, yeah. you're going to be thrown into situations. Um, and I, and I don't feel like I am adequate. I don't feel like I know I'm like, uh, I, I mean, imposter syndrome is so real. 
Yeah, that's, you know, that's true. The times that I have thought to myself, where is the real nurse? <laughs> where? <laughs> you know? uh, that's oh, like wait, that. <laughs> exactly. That's that aha moment. Or I don't even know if it's an aha moment. It's probably like a oh shoot moment when you're like looking around <laughs> at the other nurses in the room and they're all looking at you because you're the most senior nurse and you're like, uh, uh, okay, yes. here it goes. <laughs> right. Yes, I, I, I definitely remember uh, when – I, I think my, my that big moment for me, I had uh, a patient that was coming. This patient had gone to just get a routine surgery in the GI lab. And while they were there, they had a PEA arrest. Oh. And so totally unexpected, just like, oh, and they, you know, gave him atropine and then wheeled him on, a, did some compressions and then wheeled him up there. And they just like through I felt like they just like threw them in onto the bed and then ran as fast as they could the opposite direction and I remember standing there thinking what uh, where is everybody <laughs> oh, <that's> some, <laughs> you know like I, it, it was just a weird feeling like am I supposed to be the one like where's the real person that's like ha- dealing with this situation this person <laughs> is this is crazy. This person is unstable. This person just um, had a PEA arrest. Why am I the only one standing here right now? Um, and I just started doing things that I knew how to do. And that's all I could do. And then, of course, other people do come in and, and, and they're helping. You know, the team leader comes in. There's always resources. And that's another thing. Like, of yeah. course, I hit the button and I was just like, I need a team leader. I need help. You know, they always come. And it's that you've got to know how to use your resources for sure. So how long have you been in the CVICU now? It's going to be a year in about 15 days. <laughs> 15, just about. Congratulations. Exactly. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like you're counting. <laughs> That's awesome. I looked it though. up. Because, uh, my, I sent my um, manager a picture of my, me holding my past, you know, the little thing they give you at the, at the testing center saying that you passed the CCRN. Aww. And she said, how long have you been there? Have you even been there a year? And I said, no. And she goes, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So that's that how I know. Amazing. Cause I looked up the, the date that I started was um, February the 17th. That's awesome. So how can you, any of you talk a, a little bit about like some of the struggles going from PCU to CVICU? Was there anything like specific that really stuck out? Or was there anything that you kind of expected to struggle versus things that maybe you necessarily didn't expect to kind of struggle with? Well, I think that one thing that is very consistent, I don't know, across hospitals, I think it probably is. I think it's very common for maybe people to think that a nurse who has come from another floor who has experienced to be able to jump in and do things and maybe not need as much education. Like, well, you can figure this out. You've been a nurse. You're a nurse. Just be a nurse. You know, learn, you'll, you'll learn, you'll learn it as you go. Um, and I, I think that a lot of people, um, and myself included have, you know, struggle with feeling like, well, I need more education, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, there's a lot to, to there, I can't believe how much I thought I knew when I was on PCU that I was literally thinking, well, I've I've seen everything. There's probably just a few more drips I need to know. And then I got it. I got this, you know, nursing thing. And then you go to ICU and you're just like, whoa, there's a whole lot more than I thought. I didn't, 
when you're on the floor, yeah, it's like you don't know what you don't no, know. No, you don't know what you don't know. I'm literally uh, going to be interviewing um, a nurse practitioner here in a few weeks. Well, actually, listen to me. Uh, one of our, our one of our team leaders who is going to nurse practitioner school because she she said to me, Tina, oh my gosh, and in nurse practitioner school, you are, you start learning things on a different level. And you, she said, I thought, Oh, I've been a team leader in CVICU for years. <laughs> I got, I, I know this. I know, I know this stuff. She said, you don't know anything. You don't know anything. And I, and I looked at her like, girl, you know, everything. What are you talking about? You know, everything. I can't ask you anything you don't know. She said, I don't know anything. And I'm just like, dang it. Okay. I gotta have you on the podcast. We got to talk about this. Cause we, <laughs> we just, you don't know what you don't know and, and it's please don't truth. assume yeah, yeah. It's, it's, dangerous. It's, it's dangerous it is and it but it's, she's right I mean like you have to your brain has to switch from you know carrying out the orders and yes having that autonomy and knowing what's best for your patient that comes with that like being in the critical care or CVICU for long periods of time you kind of get into routines right of what your cardiologist likes what your thoracic surgeon likes you know but that doesn't necessarily always transfer across to you know is this the best first line medication to be using for this population yeah. and now is this, you is this even best practice Exactly. And so I completely relate to, to what she's going through because I'm going through it right now. And I'm like, am I the dumbest person in the world? I thought I thought I was good. But it's a it's also a very humbling. And I I feel like it's good because like you said earlier, Tina, I mean, when people start thinking that they know it, that's when they start getting that light, like higher level of confidence that starts to make them dangerous because they don't seek mm -hmm. that extra help or edu education. So yeah, it's humbling for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you have any tips for nurses who are transitioning to a higher acuity level of care? Especially like those nurses, like, I don't know, did your, when you transitioned, did you have like a, like really strong transition program or like critical care uh, education program, or was it just like kind of a preceptorship and that was it? It was pretty much a, a preceptorship and that was it. Uh, I so didn't did have like classes or anything associated with it. No, no. Oh, see, that's tough. My so, preceptor. Yeah, have, especially for nurses who kind of went through that mm -hmm. um, tips for nurses who are transitioning to a higher acuity level. Yes. So I do because I kind of had to, fight my way through it and then we have we do we participate in the quest um program at our hospital where nurses do research projects um and it's really it's really a cool program because in order for us to maintain our magnet status our nurses we have to have nurse driven um research research yeah absolutely that. our nurses we're we're nurses we are a profession and part of being a profession is that we do research on nursing and we make changes based on evidence-based practice and so Absolutely. it's important for us to yes it's a, so important for us to be involved in research it's it seems so big and lofty but really when it comes right down to it it's what you're doing every day stop and think about it is it yeah. is what you're doing the best thing how many times have you thought to yourself this, this seems pointless why am I doing this why am I using sterile water in an uh, ng tube this seems stupid and then you go <laughs> but then you go and you look up the research and you're like well dang they actually say the research does show that using sterile water in um high acuity patients is actually evidence-based practice so you can use your common quote common sense and think that well 
it's not a sterile, it's not sterile. You know, your the GI tract is not sterile. It makes no sense to use sterile water. But then look at the research. What does it show? Actually, you yeah. have better outcomes. So that's why our policy is to use sterile water when, you know, using NG tubes. Well, I, I love doing research. I don't like the mundane kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> snooze fest, some researches, but I love practical stuff. Just absolutely yeah. practical yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you want yeah. that qualitative, the lived experience, yeah. like what's really happening, not that um, post data collection of what happened. <laughs> yes. And that's all necessary. I love that there are people who have that kind of mind. We It takes all kinds. And I'm, I appreciate them for what they do. We have to have that too. It's just yeah. not me. I'm it's more of like a, me. yeah, I'm more of a like, I don't like the, how this feels. I'd like to do something. I, can I do something to change this? Or can I at least find out whether this is right? And I'm just not understanding this correctly. So my research project I did was actually on Actually, it was on using podcasting for educating nurses. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I did it on that. And then part of the education that I did was to assess nurses who have transitioned from acute care to ICU for gaps in their education so that I could have something to provide as education using podcasting. So it was kind of a, a right. roundabout way, you know. But during doing the surveys to find out the gaps in education, um, I, I saw all kinds of things. So all of it aligned with a lot of my experience. I, I personally had my own experience and then I had um, surveys from all these different nurses and it was very consistent. A lot of people, you know, were saying, well, I, the drips are so overwhelming, all the different drips mm -hmm. that you can be on. Why would you use Neo versus Levo? Why? And uh, why would you, you know, <laughs> when do you use vasopressin and do you turn vasopressin off before Levo, uh, before I keep saying Levo because I, I'm in a habit of doing that. I'm trying to stop that. Um, <laughs> would you turn um, vasopressin off before norepinephrine? You know, they talk about frustration. You start talking to nurses like that and you bring up something that kind of hits it and they're just like, yes, drips, 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 please. I need more education. I, I feel so inadequate. What do I go to if my patient starts to crash? And an, uh, an experienced ICU nurse, they're just going to run in there and grab a 250 bag of saline, shoot some Levo yeah. in there and run in there and get, you know, but Band-aid yeah, you don't feel comfortable doing that if you're brand new, just moved up yep. from PCU. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be like, team leader, help me decide what to do. And then they're going to go get the 250 back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely, um, what I saw was it helped by me doing that project to help me assess my, almost myself, like stop and evaluate my own experience. And my own experience said there were gaps um, in, in my education that I could have really filled myself. I, I, I don't have to rely on my hospital, on the educational program at my hospital to fill in those gaps. If I'm uncomfortable taking drips, I can go literally, the internet is, is all there for me to, you know, take in. And there are all kinds of programs, you know, I can go on YouTube, I can find lots of different, um, approved websites you know ones that I can yes trust. I like I like the way that you said that approved because yeah. that's that's extremely important as well if you're using any type of resource make sure that there are articles or you know actual like evidence-based practice that can back up what it's saying don't just go off of what it says because someone may have said it in a post you know or because you read it on a Pinterest infograph and obviously yes. you titrate this before you titrate this because Pinterest says so right, right. that's not going to hold up in the court of law 
<laughs> and if you can come up with, if you, if you do go on Pinterest, um, Google images or wherever, and you find a really cool, uh, image that like, oh, this spells out vasopressors perfectly for me. I get this now. Well, you know, just definitely look at, look up, you know, look it up on Lippincott, look it up wherever you need to, to, to yeah. Lexicomp, all of them. Yep. Lexicomp, definitely look it up and make sure that the information is correct. Yeah. Uh, and another great source that. is up to date as well. That's up-to-date an excellent, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually prefer that. I know it's, you know, it's not necessarily um, all free services, but I prefer that over using the Medscape because that gives you from a clinical side versus from like a layman's term side. Um, But that's just personal preference. Yeah, absolutely. I love up to date. I think that it definitely has a lot of it, you. You can trust it. I mean, it, it's yes. it's it is what it says. It's up to date. You can trust the information. <laughs> I just geeked out. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, so I love that you kind of you realize that okay, my facility may not have like a critical care like externship or education program, but I'm gonna really like make it my own and I'm going to, I'm going to learn regardless of who my preceptor is. And I'm going to, you know what I mean? I'm going to seek this information out. I love, and I think we've, we've talked about this on a, on a few other episodes as well. Um, I think that's what makes um, a good ICU nurse, that characteristic yeah. right there. Because I, I, it, I always, a good nurse in general. That's true. But, you know, our hearts are very near and dear to these ice, to the ICU. Because, I mean, I feel personally that ICU nurses are like dogs with bones and they won't let go of things until they know the reason why it's working that way and how they can, you know, either prevent it or fix it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's my analogy, <laughs> but it's true. Like, and in your situation with the education portion, Tina, it's like you, you got, went out there and got it for yourself. And for that is absolutely commendable. And I feel like that's a huge, huge factor in, um, being just like Hannah said, a good nurse. Well, and also you can, don't be afraid to just step out there and do something, you know, be, be a leader, you know, uh, by me doing that, by me feeling inadequate, looking around for like, you know, where are some gaps talking to other people, it made me feel better because I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. I, I don't, yeah. I, I am not the only person who feels this way, but then also how about I use what I already know and that's podcasting to try to improve this. And then I created a couple of podcasts. Another thing was uh, DKA protocol. There were a lot of nurses were just like, oh, DKA patients, like the insulin drips. And it's so, there's so much involved with a DKA patient and it's overwhelming. And you feel like you need to do a thousand things all at once to help them because they're so unstable and so, you know, vulnerable. And uh, so I did a podcast on vasoactive drips. I, I spoke. I interviewed a, uh, our, pharma- our pharmacist, one of our just absolute best pharmacists who is so good at educating. And she explained those drips like nobody's business. And we just had a conversation. It was just a conversation like you, you guys and I are having right now. And we just went back and forth and I would ask her questions. I didn't care. I, would, I didn't care if I sound like an idiot. I'd ask a stupid question, you know, just like, because I know if I ask a stupid question, there's got to be other people who are like, okay, somebody else out there with one too. Yes. Is this yeah. all on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, or is this a different platform? This is actually for my my personal, um, hot, the hospital where I work. Um, oh. It's some, it, 
when I put it out there, because it was for a quest project, um, which is a right. research, you know, at the hospital. And when I did it and put it out there and I did a poster presentation on it, it was so re- well received. The nurses that listened to it said, are there more topics? Like this Aww. was great. They loved, and what they loved was the fact that um, they were getting to hear it from the expert. So I interviewed a nurse practitioner who was a critical care nurse practitioner who had also been a critical care nurse um, who just, we just talked about DKA protocol and we just talked about DKA patients and what they look like and what you need to be thinking about, what you need to be worrying about, what do you need to be uh, concerned about in the different phases that you go through? How do I know when it's time to transition? And by the time we're finished with that conversation, if you listen to that podcast enough, you're, you're going to be totally 100% comfortable taking a DKA patient. I remember after having that conversation with her, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready for a DKA patient. I want one right now. I know what to do. I've got this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Once you feel confident, then it's such a good feeling. You know, you're like, okay, I'm armed with information. Anybody can do this. Anyone can, can do this. You see gaps in your hospital and education good grief, go find the expert and sit down and talk to them. You could record yeah. it if you want to and share it with people. That's all I did. Yeah, I love that. And you kind of like used it to your own like benefit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, she like, took, you're like, she I took, see this gap in myself. Yeah. <laughs> Let me fix it. But she took the tools that she already had like at kind of her disposal and, you know, used that. Oh, I that, love that. Like you that, your yeah. For podcasting and you're like let me let me take this and do something meaningful with it <laughs> yeah. absolutely absolutely and I do want to try to incorporate the uh that educational part of it like um because right now the podcast is more storytelling and just discussion mm-hmm. about nursing and medical stuff um and uplifting stories that people have done um but I would there is a whole nother project that we are working on to try to do some educational stuff, conversational educational stuff like that, that to offer people because um, I love stuff like that. I, I oh, just me too. Me too. <laughs> Especially when it's in a conversation that mm-hmm. is intriguing and not so much as like a lecture where you're trying to take all of the information in. Personally, um, my learning style, I remember things um, if it's like a story versus like a very sterile lecture, <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. just me. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're uh, one of the instructors for the AACN mm-hmm. uh, PowerPoint that you get. Her name is Carol Rowan. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, she's been a nurse forever. She does a lot of those PowerPoint um, slides, pre- the presentations, and she does a voiceover and she tells these anecdotal stories like for yes. almost every situation. And, it and you remember so them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love her, the way she teaches. It's just awesome. She talks about, you know, she talks about the heart, she's talking about valves, um, you know, insufficiency. She's like, everything's weak. Yeah. We can floppy. Everything's floppy. You know, she just puts <laughs> everything in these like layman's terms. And, um, but man, she's smart. And if you, if you've got somebody who's smart enough, I think that the smartest people or the people that really understand the information the best are the ones that can just turn around and explain it to somebody who isn't even medical and they know what's going on. And yeah. do we, do we yes. not need to be able to do that? <laughs> of course we do. Yeah. It's part of our job. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, for me, like explaining it to other people for me can really help me one 
solidify in my mind like, oh yeah, this is how this disease process works. And two, it also helps me kind of identify gaps and barriers on things that, oh, you know what, as I'm explaining this, there's this one thing I'm not sure about. So let's go and look it up together. So I love educating for that own that reason, um, because it, for selfish gain. But yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. They say the the best way. A, a teacher told me a long time ago. Uh, she was a kindergarten teacher, and then she started doing other things. And she said, "You know, the best way to learn something is to teach it." You know, it's yeah. true. It's really it's, true. You know, if you can explain something and, and actually teach something to someone else, I mean, you have to be able yes. to know it, right? All right. So, Tina, you're currently pursuing your MSN, right? Yeah. And care coordinator, co- care coordination. Let's see if I can speak today. <laughs> what made you choose this degree specifically? It's so funny because I, it sounds like nothing like what I do. And I love working at the bedside. And it sounds like, well, care coordination, that doesn't even go along with somebody working at the bedside. But um, I think that it, see, it, it was intriguing to me. I have a friend who does medical building and coding, and uh, my sister does, is, is a certified tr- uh, tumor registrar. Okay. And so that is a whole nother um, yeah. aspect, you know, of, of the, it of really the is. it's all, it's so mysterious to me. And yeah. so I found it, I find it fascinating. I feel like there's this whole side of the medical Nothing. field. Of yes. The, has to do with the electronic medical electronic medical record who has that has yeah. to do with and I, I want to know what it is I, I I'm fascinated <laughs> by it I'm, I'm intrigued and I love the idea of eventually I'm not I'm not a spring chicken as they say as you know um, as the story goes and so eventually I know I will not you know be able to work at the bedside forever but I would still I know me too I got to keep my brain moving I, I got to mm-hmm. keep doing something so I feel like it would be a good area to go into to be able to transition eventually when I'm when I am ready um, to leave the bedside to be able to do something from home, you know. Um, so yeah, coordination. You're just, you know? you're just kind of preparing yourself for the future. Yeah. I love that. Exactly. Well, not only that, but I mean, there are remote positions because we ended up interviewing um, actually the remote nurse in our first season, and so she was talking to us about different positions as well. But I'm I'm almost I'm. Um, like 100%, 99.8% certain that um, master's degree or graduate um, prepared nurses in uh, research and development or on the research side who work remotely. Um, and, you know, it, a lot of it is data abstraction as well, but uh, that might be something for you to think about uh, for the future as well, because mm-hmm. I know how much you enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. Qualitative, of course. <laughs> or quantitative, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> All those so, fancy words for research. So, Tina, can you tell us about your podcast? I've, I've heard it before. We've heard yes, it. But can you tell us in your words a little bit about Good Nurse, Bad Nurse? We love it, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse is, is basically a way for me because I I kind of am my guilty pleasure is true crime that's so weird but um no I love that (laughs) and I I feel that vibe from your podcast too (laughs) I'm so obsessed like I don't know I'm kind of a chicken when it comes to like just life in general (laughs) and I think that there's a part of me that thinks that if I 
know everything that could possibly happen to a person that could maybe avoid it. I don't know because I, I'm just Sometimes like, Sometimes oh. education is dangerous because then it's you know dangerous. what might happen next. Uh, and that's me. That is totally me. I mean, that, I don't know if you guys saw the thing I posted on Instagram, the conversation that I was happen- having with Keith the nurse. We were talking about camping and I was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> no way would I ever go camping. I know all the 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 true crime stories about people camping. Oh, yeah. so I could never go camping. When I was younger, mm-hmm. I went camping all the time. I would have never even thought, thought twice. <laughs> but um, I love true crime. It's it's uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating to me. Um, and it's sort of a guilty pleasure. I remember kind of being like forensic files. They're watching it thinking yes. I shouldn't be watching this, but I'm going to watch it anyway. And I just keep like watching Netflix it. Netflix binging <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah, the forensic <laughs> files. And then my husband's uh, my husband's mother um, she loved it too, and we both were just sitting there watching it like, oh wow, this is awful, this is terrible. What happened next? You know, and exactly. <laughs> I wanted to come up with a way to because I want the reason I wanted to start a podcast in the first place is I realized that I actually loved nursing because I thought I hated. It. I told you I had an awful experience yeah. and. I found myself, even after working uh, at my new job, I I was stressed so much and so overwhelmed with the responsibility that nurses have. Um, I was scared. I was just like, what, why have I done this myself? I'm, I, I take things way too personally. I internalize things. I'm a very emotional person. Um, I get attached to people easily. I, yeah. I just wear my emotions on my sleeve sometimes. I, I say that, but then a lot of times people are like, no, you're not like that. I Maybe I think I do. I know it's it's in there. Maybe I don't wear it on the outside of my face, but. Um, you developed a poker face over the last probably couple have. years. I yeah. probably have developed a, a poker face, but I, um, I just remember thinking at some point, oh my gosh, I love nursing. I love this. This is, I, you know, I would actually be at home and off for a couple of days and looking forward to going back. Yeah, and I thought, oh my gosh, I think I think I might have discouraged some people from being Aww. nurses because I was so negative because I was so stressed. I didn't yes. know there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't know that that was just temporary and that it would all start clicking and I would feel better and I would feel confident and I would be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know that, and I, I'm like, I want to tell other people and. I wanted a podcast and I, I listened to true crime podcasts. I was like, wonder if I could combine the two. Mesh the two of them. Well, you've done an excellent <laughs> job with it for sure. And I think we it's interesting it, that you said yeah. that. I mean, and kind of the same thing for Hannah and I, when we just kind of, I came to Hannah with them, like, do you want to do a podcast? Cause we do enjoy nursing and we love it and we want to give back to the profession and, you know, just show other nurses that there's so many different sides to nursing that are available so if you feel like you're in a slump don't like don't feel like you have to give up the profession altogether and like I mean I speak for myself and I think for Hannah too when I say that like doing this podcast has been very cathartic for both of us we've we've been able to reflect on the positives that we love so much about nursing yes there's systemic issues that are happening in our profession that we don't agree with that we see that there are problems but you know we also want to help be the positive in our profession and not you know hyper focused on the negatives like a lot of um, individuals do So I found that interesting that you kind of felt the same way. (laughs) 
Yeah, so if you guys are, for those of you listening, make sure to go and check out Tina's podcast at yes. Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. She's available on all major podcast platforms, and she has a website as well. And Instagram and, and Facebook. Yes. And for Kristen's favorite part of the show. We don't stalk her, just so you know, but we do know <laughs> that she's on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> I stalk her. Definitely. I, I didn't want her to know that. She, she <laughs> How do you Rama? think I prepare for interviews, Kristen? I know. I do the same thing, but I, I like to make it feel organic and not like they're being watched. <laughs> oh, no. They're being watched. <laughs> okay. <I> said, Ma'am. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's, it's okay. All right. So, Tina, this is my favorite part of the show. Hannah's least favorite part of the show, but she says that about several different things. Um, So we just usually edit it out and brush her off. Um, But (laughs) it brings me to the three R's. So that goes over um, in your career, any regrets, redos, and rewards that you've had um, thus far. And regrets, they can just be like missed opportunities or, you know, maybe um, wanting to go back and um, spend a little more time with a patient or in a specific area. Um, That could also be true for redos. And rewards are um, they can they can be anything career based. Completely up to you. Wow, that's that's interesting. I I read you know because you kind of sent me a little uh, thing of some of the questions that I could possibly have, and that was that was on there. And I thought about it, and I what I was gonna say uh, changed a little bit after you just said that, um, because you know I try not to have regrets, honestly, uh, yes. but I don't know that it's necessarily healthy to not have. I mean, you can have, I mean, regret's just an emotion that's going to come up and you can't really control it, you know? It's part of, part of being human. It's just life. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have regrets. You're going to have, you're going to question like, man, what would have happened had I done this? Um, And, and I don't ever want to, I feel like who I am today is a result of the decisions that I've made. And some of them, some maybe, uh, resulted in some negative things that happened, but it's still who I am. And so I, I have children that if I had decided to go to nursing school at a younger age, who knows whether I would have had them. I don't want to ever say that I I would have done things totally different. However, (laughs) that that just made it literally an image popped up in my head when you said, uh, I think you said something about an interaction with a patient or something and it. Oh man. So there, uh, there was a patient, and I'm glad that you said that because I, this is a, a, something I would love to share to share with people. There, uh, I try to, I try to be one person with my patients and family members, and then if I need to be negative about them, to try to do that in the in the supply room with my coworkers and just like vent if I'm if I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is on my last nerve. But then you would never. I w- I would like to know that. I believe that they would never know that I feel that mm-hmm. way. That's how I like to live my life and to try to be um, neutral with them, to try to be the same with all of my patients, no matter how much they might get on my nerves. Or <laughs> they, or rude, we've all really. been there. We've all been yeah, there. We, we get it. Trust me. <laughs> yes, really. I mean, the, usually my experience is um, I do, I can be that way with everybody until they start being 
insulting or nasty. Yep. Right. Being really ugly, especially if I see them being ugly to someone else, it just makes me mad that I don't want to be nice to them because I'm just (laughs) like, well, you're just being horrible. And then it, it stirs something up in me that if I see an injustice, like, oh, you were just so rude to the CNA, excuse me. And I, I just (laughs) runs all over me. And so there was a patient one time who was like that and everybody, he was inappropriate with women. He mm-hmm. was just awful and er, no one wanted to go in there. And at one point um, he called out, I was the team leader. He called out and I went in to see what he wanted because I didn't want to send the CNA or the nurse in there. And he wanted me to put lotion on his feet. And it's <laughs> normally, I mean, okay, normally I would, I would put lotion on most people's feet. Like I wouldn't even think about it. You know, I'd be like, sure. Like if you need that, if your feet are dry, I would do that before they even ask me if I would give them a bath or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that he, oh, I mean, you talk about running because of all of the things he had been doing and the things yep. that he had been saying. And so um, I honestly didn't, I, I was not happy with how I responded to him with myself and I, I said something back to, to him and then I left and then um, he ended up going for a procedure the next day and he passed away. Oh, and, no. Yes. And I, when I found out that he passed away, I felt horrible and I, reg- I regretted it. I regretted it. And do, do you think he deserved for me to say that? Probably. Honestly. Probably. Jerk. For sure. I mean, let's be honest. He's a jerk. I mean, he was a jerk to yeah. so many people. He was, you know, disrespectful to women. Um, that's yeah. like my biggest pet peeve. And yet, yet, do I really want him to make me um, a person that I don't want to be? No. And yeah. so, my that's advice, a really good one. Yeah, yeah because you can't you can't let yeah. that external force change who you are at the end of yeah. the day. And I think. I mean, after 12 hours, especially if you're doing it multiple shifts, like day after day, that starts to wear and tear on you and then you take it personal. I mean, that's what happened to me anyways. Like if I had – I've had a very similar situation to the point where a patient came into another patient's room to flick me off. And, <laughs> and, you probably deserved it though. And no, I mean, security got called the, like the whole nine yards. It was <laughs> – horrible That's so funny though <laughs> but, I mean th- this person was is no longer allowed at that facility but <laughs> um and I, I felt bad for the the patient that I was in the room with because yeah this elderly individual just looked up at me scared to death oh. and but was like was <laughs> like that that person took it personal, and I was like, "No, that was completely intended for me." And then you think, like, you know, okay, what could I have done differently to tell, you know, um, make things better? But at the end of the day, there, there, it was just not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and sometimes you just you don't have any control over, over other people, but you do have yeah. control over your own actions. And I, yes. I, I just thought to myself, you know, I still regret acting that way to somebody who then passed away. And I, I'm just like, you know, it doesn't matter that he deserved that treatment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter at all. I I don't know what that man went through in his life to cause him to be the way that he was. And I don't want someone else's actions to cause me to be the kind of person that I I don't want to be. I, that's not who I want to be. Why would I let them 
change me into someone yes. who I don't want to be. So from now, you know, from then on, I tried, I try so hard to just let that stuff roll off my back and walk away, not react you know, to things people say, or try to react professionally, you know, just be professional <laughs> about it. Um, Poker face until you get into the bedroom. <laughs> and then just be like, can you believe he asked me to watch it? You know, like. <laughs> That's a really, I really like that. That one might be my favorite regret so far. Aw. And redos. Oh gosh, redo. I know <laughs> you just put so much energy into the, your regret story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can you can top it because I mean honestly that story is like a regret, a redo, and a reward because that was a huge telling. Well, because he died. <laughs> no, because she was able to recognize in her practice that oh, you know right. I'm not I'm not gonna let what happens with these patients. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to take my work home mm -hmm. with you because how many times have we had bad days at work and then it spills over into our, our personal lives. And, you know, we don't want to talk to anybody on the way home, way home or when we get home, we don't want to interact with anyone and we can't even figure out what we want to eat, but it's everybody else's fault. I mean, look, I'm talking True about story. This, this man who was a jerk to so many people, who was a misogynist, who was an absolute... I mean, he was terrible. And I'm talking about him a year and a half after he Yeah, like away. he affected you that yeah. much that yeah. you're telling a story on a podcast about right. it. So <laughs> thousands, that, yeah, millions I, of people. Yeah, I let him do that. And I, I because I let him have that power over me. Yep. So yeah. I would rather, you know, my redo would be to take a deep breath, you know, walk in there and, and rub his beard. <laughs> And just, well, honestly, if that's what he needed, I would probably look at his feet and just be like, you know what? Your feet look, your feet look good. I don't think you need any lotion. Or if they look dry, well, all right, I'll put some lotion on. You have talked to him like your son, like, now how do we ask for our feet to be rough? <laughs> right. Ask nicely. <laughs> what do we say? What's the magic word? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. My favorite of the three R's is reward. <laughs> oh, the reward is so easy. That is the easiest thing in the world. I was just talking uh, about this earlier because nursing for me is a journey. I go through ups and downs where, and especially this past year, it's been, it's, I've had a lot of down, downs, downtime. <laughs> I think everyone has. Year. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know? Um, I've really had to have some pep talks, pep talks with myself lately um, because it, thinking about, you know, you, you asked why I decided to go to care coordination. There was a time when I was this re pretty recently that I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I cannot be beat up one more time. I cannot yeah. work in this with these staffing situations. I cannot, you know, just the disrespect, everything. And yeah. So I, you live in the valley for a while, and then you have a time when you go to work and you, you start out your shift and the patient's on a ventilator and sedated, and you, you're just like, I'm going to turn a sedation off, see what I can do. And then they start waking up, and you're just like, hey, their RSPI is really good. I think you can get them extubated, and you extubate them, and they're doing really well. And then by the end of the day, you got them up in the chair. You got them walking around the unit. They're going to the floor, and you leave going, oh, my gosh, I accomplished something. I made a difference in that patient's life. I did something and you have enough of those and then you're just like 
I love it pulls you right back in. Yep. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I love that. I love that. And on that note, Tina, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. We really appreciate it. Again, if you want to check out Tina and her podcast, um, she's at Good Nurse Bad Nurse on all podcast platforms, on her website and social media. Tina, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to Nurses in the Know and tuning in to another wonderful episode. We've got more episodes that drop every Friday. This is Season 2, Episode 8, Part B. Thanks for listening, and remember to like, comment, share, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and make sure you're telling all your friends about Nurses in the Know.